glad that you're here today. We want to welcome you to Pleasant Grove Assembly of God. Praise the Lord. We're excited on uh, as we bring in a new year. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. I hope you're believing God for great things in the year to come and and in great things today. Amen. Praise God. Well, I just have a couple of announcements. I want to encourage you to be sure and pick up a bulletin off of our welcome desk in the lobby. A lot of information in there about things that are coming up. I'll just touch on a couple uh, this week. Don't forget our uh, Bible study on Wednesday night for our sister-to-sister and our young men's Bible study classes will be meeting uh, at 7. And then, uh, of course, Pastor will be... uh, teaching here for the adult class amen at seven o'clock wednesday so come out bring a friend also men don't forget that this saturday is our men's breakfast right here in our fellowship hall behind us it's going to be at nine o'clock so be sure invite somebody to come it's a great time we're going to have some food and fellowship together pastor's going to bring a devotional and uh, we've been having a great time on the first saturday of every month so come out and join us and i know you'll be blessed Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Are you ready to worship God today? I want to invite everyone to stand. We're going to open in prayer. Oh, let's believe God. Amen. For great things in this year. Great things in our service today, in our families, in our communities. God is moving by His Spirit. Amen. Oh, don't you love the Lord? Oh, is your name written down in glory? Hallelujah. Do you love the King of glory this morning? He's here. He's here. He's here. Let's worship Him with all of our heart today and allow Him to have His way in our heart. Hallelujah. Father, we love You. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for another day, God. Father, that we can come to Your house. Lord, we come with a great expectation and an excitement, Lord God. Father, we know that when we gather in Your name, that You're here, Lord God, to meet with us, that we can commune with You, that we can fellowship and experience You afresh, God. Father, we pray that You'll receive our worship this morning, that You would fill this house with Your glory, God, today. Father, pour out your spirit. Pour out your blessings upon us today, Lord. Let healing, Lord, take place in those that are sick, Lord. Father, we pray that you would just do a great and a mighty work. Receive our worship today in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of being sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you because of your precious blood. You have redeemed us and you have reconciled us to the Father. And Jesus, whom you set free, is free indeed. And we are free to serve you. We are free to walk an abundant life. We are free to be the ones you've called us to be. We thank you for the power of your blood. We thank you for the great salvation you've given us. We thank you for the privilege that this day we can be confident and declare we are sons and daughters of the living God. And help us, Lord, to embrace that. Help us, Lord, to live that. Help us, Lord, to always give you glory and honor because of that. And all God's people said, let's give the Lord a clap offering of praise. He set us free. He's made us brand new. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. I was going to say Happy New Year. Is it Happy New Year? Yeah. It's not the 4th of July. I kind of felt like it coming in. But anyway, praise the Lord. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. And if you have your Bible, if you would go with me to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. Amen. Next week, we will get back to our series as we finish up the letters to the churches of Revelation. But this morning, as we begin the new year, we want to glean our thought from the book of Nehemiah. We want to talk about the importance of a present vision, the importance of a present vision. As God's people, we're not just floaters and coasters and just kind of drifters. That's not us. We're people of purpose and passion. We're people that walk with God, that recognize we have been called of God. And God gives us a task, and God gives us an assignment, and God gives us promises to believe and accomplishments to achieve. And he wants to speak to our hearts that we would be good stewards with the days that lie ahead, that we can look back with thanksgiving and we can look forward with expectation realizing we are sons and daughters of God. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And he has entrusted to our lives a divine call and a divine purpose. We're going to talk about what God has put in our hearts to do. Beginning in chapter number 1 of the book of Nehemiah. He's in Babylon, verse 2. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and we're also in Jerusalem. Remember, the Babylonians had captured Jerusalem. They would laid it waste. They left a remnant there, but they took back most of the people. Now they're starting to go back. Verse 3, they said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and distress, disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now some four months later, he's praying. The burden's increasing on his life. And he's in the presence of the king because he was the king's cupbearer. He had access to the king. He poured the king's wine. He was very close with the king. And the king recognizes something's wrong. The king recognizes his countenance isn't right. The king says, what's wrong? Why are you so sad? And chapter 2 and verse 3, I said to the king, may the king live forever. 
Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I quickly prayed to heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And the king says, go for it, go for it, go for it. It took him a couple months to get there. Camel trip wasn't quite nearly as quick as air travel is. Amen. In verse 12, he got there. And he set out at first, not saying much about why he was there. But he wanted to examine things for himself. It's smart to find out things for yourself, isn't it? He didn't want to just go by what he had heard. And he observed everything. He went around, he inspected the walls himself, took a reconnaissance report. And he says, I set out during the night, verse 12, with a few others, and I had not told anyone, and here's our thought for this morning, what my God had put in my heart to do. What my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no one there writing except me, and I was on it. He examines things, and finally, verse 17 and 18, he simply says to them, You see the trouble that we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And the nobles and the other leaders, he heard and told them about the gracious hand of God upon them and what the king had said. And they replied, good, let's start the building. Let's rebuild the walls. And they began the good work. I want to glean from verse 12 what God has put in my heart to do. Because that will make all the difference in the world. And our thought is simply why God's present vision, present vision, for our lives is so very important. The walls of God's city had laid waste for years. Literally 150 years they had laid waste. And it brought shame and ridicule to the city and to the people and to the witness of the people of God. And Nehemiah took it upon himself the responsibility to rebuild the walls. I mean, someone's got to do it. A lot of people are talking about it. Someone's going to rise up and get the job done. Can you say amen? It's amazing when we make ourselves available to God. He'll put something in our heart and we can move mountains when God touches us. We can move mountains when God says, tag, you're it. But here he is. He took it upon himself the responsibility to rebuild the walls and to take away the reproach. He was willing to take much risk and he was willing to offer much personal sacrifice. And he did it. He did it. And what we see in verse 12, that key verse, what God has put in my heart to do, we note that it was not just something he dreamed up in emotion. It wasn't just something personal desire. But it was something inspired and initiated by God himself. That God had placed that burden and God had placed that vision, that goal, that divine assignment in the heart of his servant. And that drove him. And that anointed him. And that determined him to rid the kingdom of that which was a disgrace, of that which needed to be rebuilt. And may God touch our hearts this morning. God wants each one of us to be able to say, what God has put in my heart to do. And again, this was birth as he prayed for some four months. This was not just a whim of emotion, not even a personal desire. We see a lot of that in the church where we want to use God as opposed to letting God use us. There's a time for that. But we're going to get beyond the carnality and the life coach idea. 
and get back to the discipleship of, Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, write your burden and your mission on my heart. Show me what you'd have me to do for your glory and for your name. This is part of the believer's life that we must not overlook or ignore. As Christians, we are not just to float through life, just following the tide or following the current, following our own desires. But as we wait on God for direction, as we look into his word, as we stay sensitive to his voice, he'll give us wisdom. He'll show us things he wants us to address, things he wants us to achieve. He'll inspire goals within our heart. He'll entrust divine assignments into our lives. And this enables the child of God to live intentionally, not accidentally or carelessly. And this kind of living leads to personal growth. It leads to corporate accomplishment. It leads to family achievement. It leads to eternal triumphs. It leads to personal growth. You know, there's a saying, and we'll repeat it later, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Can you say amen? But when there's something in my heart that God's burdened me with, when God shows me in his word something he wants me to achieve and embrace, it brings personal growth in my walk and in my character and my work for God. It also brings corporate achievements. When we look back, we thank God for the beautiful sanctuary and how it's debt-free and it was built, et cetera, et cetera. We recognize that was a corporate achievement. It's when the family of God got caught up in the vision from heaven. And that vision moved upon us to pray, to believe, to work, to sacrifice, and to give. And as God's people united their faith, united their efforts, we saw the result. Shame is taken away and the glory of God is once again seen. Can you say amen? There's family achievements. God might want your family to accomplish something in this coming year. There's debts that you should overcome. There are certain victories and promises that you need to claim and see come into your family. As those that boldly confess Jesus is Lord of our homes, we should seek God and ask God, Lord, in this coming year, what is it that you want us to do as a family? What are the areas you want us to grow in or achieve or progress in as a family? It might be giving to missions like never before. It might be taking on a ministry. It might be really believing God for that stray or that wayward one, and really making an emphasis this year of praying and fasting and believing that God's going to meet with them and turn their life around. But again, when we live intentionally, as opposed to accidentally and carelessly, it helps us to achieve personal growth and corporate accomplishments and family achievements. And ultimately, because this is what God births in our heart, This is something inspired as we look to the Word of God. It creates eternal triumphs in our lives. Things that will matter a hundred years from now. Things that will matter forever and forever. Now, Nehemiah's life gives you and I a good example of a man who allowed the Lord to birth within his heart a burden. That burden became a vision and ultimately a divine commission, a heavenly mission. And then it became the accomplishment that God had wanted from the beginning. And God will do the same thing through us and in our lives. More than just a dream of someday, the present vision brought him to a present action this day. It was enabled him not just to see what God wanted, but also to begin to apply the plan to bring it to pass. God's vision includes a present course of action, something that helps us to remember that faith 
without works is dead. And it's more than just I'm hoping someday or maybe of God, but it's understanding as God speaks, he'll give us the, the withal to begin to do what it takes to see his will done on the earth. My dad was a great believer in faith without works is dead. Can you say amen? You know, you come back from that last college semester and you're staying up all night writing them term papers back when you had to write them and, um, and studying all night for those big tests, you know, those final exams. You come home from school, you haven't slept much in that last week and a half and dad gave you one day, one day to sleep, one day to sleep. By that next day, he worked the night shift, so he's coming home at quarter after seven. And I'm down in the basement, you know, those ranch houses down up north, they're down in the basement. By that second day, quarter after seven, that light's being flicked. He's yelling, let's go up and at him. That job's not coming to you. Woo. He believed in faith without works is dead. Can you say amen? <laughs> but I'm going to pray, Dad. Oh, you pray all you want while you're filling out them applications. Go ahead. <laughs> pray when you're knocking on them doors. Faith without works is dead. So it's not enough to say, I'm hoping someday God's going to save my neighbor. Go cross the street and witness to him. I'm hoping one day God's going to do more to help the homeless. Get out there and feed them. Come on, say amen. Nehemiah had a vision. But God's visions are intended to be turned into actions. And from actions to become glorious accomplishments. For the glory of God. For the glory of God. You know, Coach Shula that famous coach of the Dolphins, when he was writing one of his books on leadership, he happened to write this interesting thought. He said, when I first became coach of the Dolphins back in 1970, I had my day-to-day plan was simply, but it was very specific. I wanted to make sure that we came out of every meeting a little bit more intelligent than when we went in. I wanted to make sure that we came off the practice field a little better prepared mentally and physically to play the game than before we'd begun. His thing was daily improvements would lead to ultimate achievements. It was a daily vision of improvement. It was a daily vision of reaching towards the goal, not just hoping. But once we have the vision, we're going to walk out the plan to accomplish it. If you know the story, by 1972, he led the Dolphins to their first only undefeated season ever. But it was a daily action plan. Christians are to have such a thing. The Bible wants us to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. The Bible says let's grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and our King. Let's be fruitful. But things don't happen by accident. It happens as we catch the vision, but then as we do something to achieve the vision, not just with a whim, but with an action. I want to give you five reasons this morning why God's present vision, present vision in our lives is so important. Number one, a present vision will give a dynamic for your life. Will give a dynamic for your life. When God touches a heart, when we begin to see a need before us and God says, I want you to be the answer to that need. When we read the Bible and something really speaks to our hearts, we know God's saying, I want you to believe that. I want you to obtain that and grow in that. A present vision gives a dynamic. It gives an energy. It gives a passion. It gives a life. It gives a power to reach for it. See, vision is knowing that what it is God has called you to do. And it's your bringing enthusiasm when God touches your heart. After all, purpose and meaning gives energy and passion for life. Many of those that lose hope, they just kind of drift. Many of those that have no reason. But when there's a reason, there's something that drives you. There's something that inspires you. 
There's something that will move you to sacrifice, to labor, to give, to serve. Vision is knowing what it is that God has asked you to do. It becomes a bold reason for living, like a badge of purpose that we wear, like um, no more of the same old, same old, but waking up recognizing that the Bible has told us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has ordained that we should do, that God has a work for you to do, God has a work for me to do. It's something special, it's something unique, and he bursts it in our heart, and he brings it into our lives. And as we go for that, we realize we're not just living lives, we're living lives for the glory of God. We're not just going through the motion, we're doing something that matters for eternity. It'll put in motion into your life, but then you realize there is a cause, there is a reason. It takes away the, the mundane and the humdrum and gives us a sense of excitement before God. We recognize we are part of something eternal. We've been entrusted with the task from the divine. It's no longer accidental living, but it's intentional living, designed and assigned by the Almighty. Heavenly vision fuels faith and energizes effort. I'll say that again. Heavenly vision fuels faith and energizes effort. People that are filled with a present vision for God, a present burden that the Spirit has placed upon their hearts, They recognize that their lives matter both now and eternally. It's like Jesus said, I'm about the Father's business. When we recognize we're walking in the will of God, when we recognize the lives that we're living as we're living in the will of God have eternal consequences, we can say like Jesus said, I'm about the Father's business. You can be home and the world sometimes costs it just staying home and raising kids, but you can push that foolishness aside and declare, I'm about the Father's business. This is God's will for this season of my life and I'm going to do it for the glory of God and I'm going to believe for the blessing of God. You might be on the job and you might be laughed at but you're not going to laugh at those foolish jokes and you're not going to partake in that nonsense or speak away that's unbecoming a child of God they might just think you're odd instead you can declare hey I'm about the father's business I'm trying to be a light in the midst of this darkness I'm trying to be a missionary in the place God has positioned me oh there is a cause and life has more meaning when we recognize we walk as ambassadors of the king of kings And the Lord of Lords. You might be thinking, you teach that Sunday school class. Why are you so serious about it? Because I recognize this is the burden that God has placed in my heart. I recognize this is the divine assignment that God has entrusted to my life. That's why I take it seriously. That's why I pray compassionately. That's why I'm giving my very all. Oh, glory be to God forevermore. You might go visit that shut-in. And others might just roll their eyes. But you recognize you're on a divine assignment to do the will of God. For he said, if you do it to the least of them, you've done it unto me. Come on, shout amen, somebody. I want to say we've lived in a church that's gone too far in this self-help nonsense, in this this life coach baloney, because it gets too selfish. There's there's a place for that. But we got to get back to where seeking first that kingdom. We're picking up that cross and following Jesus. And as I offer myself to him, here I am, send me, Lord. And we allow that Holy Spirit to write in our hearts the mission, the burden. We allow the Holy Spirit to begin to open up our eyes to the needs around us and say, I want you to be the remedy and meet that need. All of a sudden, something stirs up. It's a divine dynamic. 
when you're led of God. There's something that energizes and fuels the heart of God's servant when we realize I'm not living accidentally. I'm living intentionally in the will and for the glory of God. But what you do matters. Can you say amen? When you're doing it for the Lord, when you're walking with God, oh, my, 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 my. There's a sense of joy knowing that heaven, the God of heaven has decided to use us, to equip us, to divinely place and appoint us. Never ever forget, somebody needs you. Somebody needs the words that you can speak. Somebody needs the time that you can give. You are called to be the answer to somebody's prayers. And remember in our story here, it's not so much a man using God but this is God using a man. And that makes all the difference. It is God using his serpent to do his will and to do his works. And God will use your life as you offer it to him. As you recognize this new year, Lord, let it not be wasted, but let it be spent for your glory. Let it be a productive year. Let it be a year of accomplishing your will. Lord, put on my heart that which you want me to focus on and give my best effort towards and Throw my faith at and my energies at. Such understanding that brings confidence for the now. Knowing that this is of God and you're God's person. That God is directing and equipping that effort. God is enabling you to commit the task he has entrusted to you. That God is on your side. And you have partnered with the Almighty. And if God be for us, who can be against? You're not alone in that endeavor. You're not alone in carrying out that call. God is with you. Keep trucking. Keep believing. Keep trying. Keep bringing God your best. And let him work through your life. Such knowledge and understanding not only gives us confidence for the now, but hope for the future. For we know we're going somewhere. We know that we are living this life for the glory of God. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And we're marching in that parade that will lead one day to see him face to face. And here... Well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. And because we know where God's vision will ultimately take us, it gives us a dynamic for our lives, an energy and a passion and a strength and a hope that fuels us. And the world might not understand us. And the world might just look at, I just want to take life easy and just whatever. When they see a man or a woman that has met with God, that has heard the voice of God, that has allowed the living God to put something within their heart, It moves them to live like no one else lives. It's a glorious thing. As the people of God, because we are men and women that are about the Father's business, because what we do really matters, we'll work harder. We'll sacrifice more. We'll be more diligent. We'll give an excellent effort. We'll believe the promise. And we will finish the work. And all God's people said, Number one, why is God's present? You've got to go somewhere. If you, you know, the worst thing in the world is climbing the ladder and find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. Come on, say amen. Uh, when it all comes down to it, is what you're doing matter for eternity? Make sure something that you're giving your time and your talent and your treasures are worth that which is eternal. The treasure in heaven, the accomplishments that bring glory to God. God's vision. We'll give a dynamic for your life. 
When God puts something in your heart, it energizes you. Have you ever seen someone that God got a hold of? Oh, we look back and we shake our heads. We say, they're a little fanatic. No, they just got gripped by God. <laughs> man, man, every time I get with that prayer, all they want to talk about is the children, the children, the children. Well, God gripped their heart, gave them a burden for the children. Amen. Lord, I wish you'd do it with all of us in some area. Amen. This one thing I do, Paul said. Oh, God wants to do that in our lives. Number two, divine, that, that vision, that present vision, not only a dynamic, but it'll produce a direction for our lives. A direction for our lives. Because when God touches our hearts, when God shows us clearly the thing He wants us to give our all to and believe for and trust Him for in a coming year, we're no longer just coasting or waiting or drifting. Our prayers have focus. Our efforts have focus. Our giving has focus. My time and my talents, there's a focus, there's a concentration My life becomes more harnessed so it can be more productive. Many don't really know where they're going. And therefore, they waste so many opportunities. Their gifts kind of get forgotten and neglected and undeveloped. I mean, some lives are just glad to be here. They're just glad that when they woke up in the morning, they they didn't read their names in the old bits. You know what I'm saying? But direction. Direction steers us towards productive and fruitful lives. There's a reason for your life, for every season of your life. You might not be able to do what you once did, but if you'll seek God, He'll show you what you can do. He'll give you a vision and a burden for the right now. It might be raising those babies. There's nothing more important than raising those babies. This world aborts them. This world neglects them, makes fun of those that see that as a high and holy calling. But they're lost and they're blind. There's nothing greater you can do than to raise them children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to love the Lord and to know the Lord. Can you say amen? You carry that, ladies, nobly. You carry that, men, nobly. That is the will of God. It might be a season that you're taking care of elderly parents. That is a noble thing. That is a God-honoring thing. That is a biblical thing. And to recognize for this season, this is what God has called me to do. That's a wonderful thing. That brings glory to God. You see, the child of God understands life is made of seasons. And the good steward will always recognize the season so he or she may embrace the season. There's nothing worse than someone that doesn't recognize their season. They'll run when they should be learning. They'll still be learning when they should be going. They'll be looking for an easy house to sit on when they should be leading the charge of sacrifice. When we don't understand the season, we miss what God wants us to do. But vision will bring direction into our lives. See, a person without direction, they're easily moved, they're easily swayed. They're talked into this, they're talked out of that. There's like no divine rudder steering them and keeping them on God's course. But when you're moved by a present vision, when something God births in your heart and you know God desires me to embrace this or accomplish this, that divine commission becomes a divine priority, a divine passion. It becomes the I must in my life. Nehemiah says in the second chapter, verse 17, he says, let us build, let's rebuild the walls. And he's able to recognize and then articulate what God had called him to do in that season of his life. 
This was a statement of God's purpose that God had put in his heart and it gave him direction and focus for the next period of his life. There's a time to study and then there's time to go for it. There's a time to wait and there's a time to run. Hallelujah. Every day when Nehemiah got up, he knew exactly what he was about. He knew what he was for. He knew why he was here. See, vision produces a direction in our lives. It brought you here this morning. See, people without vision have no clear direction. That's why they often start half a dozen things but finish. They're like a bumper car in the county fair, you know. (laughs) But when God's vision burns within you, it brings a focus and a concentration. And it brings a harnessing to all these other things. When God really gets a hold of a life, their response is typically lead, follow, or get out of the way. But I'm going here because God has called me down this road. When God's vision burns within, there is direction. There is a a reaching towards something specific. Something specific. Efforts become specific. Faith, sacrifice, prayer, become specific in that area. And we're aimed to achieve something clear and definite. I emphasize that thought specific because a vision from God brings a direction into our lives. It saves us from waste. It concentrates and harnesses our efforts to be more productive. Beware broken focus. Broken focus causes many a collapse and failure. Peter was doing pretty good till focus got lost and then he sank like the lead balloon. And many times when the enemy will try to break your focus. Because once he breaks your focus and you get distracted, you no longer have the concentration, the power of that. Now there's an acronym, if you've, um, you've probably heard it if you've ever read or studied anything in leadership. And it's called SMART goals. SMART goals. Specific, measurable, obtainable, relevant, time-honoring. SMART goals. I just want to highlight smart, S, specific, specific. When God puts something in our heart, we have a specific thing to focus on. We have a specific ministry at hand. When God sends you to the Ukraine, (laughs) you're no longer spending 90% of your time worrying about Okinawa. There's a present vision and a present concentration and a present, come on, say amen. Yeah. It's specific. There's clear. You can write it. You can say it. You see, well-defined goals are effective goals that help us to grow and achieve. And again, like we said earlier, remember, if you're aiming at nothing, you're going to hit it. Isn't that right? But when you can say, this is my purpose for this season. This is the goal God wants me to go for this year. This is the thing God wants our family to improve on in this coming year. These are the characteristics of the Spirit. We've been studying the fruit of the Spirit for about nine months on Wednesday nights. This is an area that I'm not where I need to be, and I believe the Spirit's speaking to me. You need to grow in these areas. I'm going to bring situations in your life that are going to help that. So I want you to recognize that. I want you to, this, this, this year is your year to grow in that area. Amen? There's an area, I've got a weakness here, and I believe finally it's time. It's time. And this year, God is going to give me the grace. It's going to break. I'm going to overcome it. Amen? This is the year. This is the year. I've been talking about involvement. I've been talking about involvement for 10 years. I'm getting involved. And God's going to put me somewhere, and I'm going to give it my all. 
You see, there's a focus, there's a consecration for your note taker, specific, something clear that you can go for, something you can write, something you can say, but also measurable. If you can't measure it, you'll never know your progress. Amen? People, you know, you can't measure it, you don't know where you're headed. You're still always in that someday, someday over the rainbow. Forget that. You've got to have something that you can measure and you can hit. Amen? Obtainable. If your goals aren't obtainable, it's foolishness. You know, some people's goal is just to get up in the morning. That's not a goal. That's not a goal. Amen? That just means you're still breathing. That means you're still breathing. Amen? If they're too little, that's not something real. But if they're too hard, that's foolish also. Isn't that right? How many know I'm not playing in the NBA? Not in this life. All right? There's no point. That's my goal. Forget that goal. You can't. No, it's not happening. They've got to be real, realistic, attainable. Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant. That ship might have sailed. That was your goal. That was God's word for you when you were 25. If you missed it, well, we've all missed it. But it's not God's word today. Come on, say amen. Come on, say, oh, that was a weak amen. It got to be real. Does it matter? Isn't that right? You know, some people that are barely saved just want to get the softball trophy. Then they have a real encounter with God. And all of a sudden they realize God don't really care too much about our softball trophies. But he wants to see them Royal Ranger kids get to know Jesus. And you become, you get a burden that matters. Come on, I'm just getting right at it here. And time bound, time bound. There's got to be some time, timing on this. Forget the, the someday over the rainbow. No, 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 no. The goal. Starting point and finishing point. And again, for the Christian. As we seek God, Lord, what would you have me to do? What are the areas you want me to grow in, to accomplish, to achieve in the coming year? What are the things you want to put on my heart, Lord? We should have character goals, always character goals. Because the whole call of God is that we would grow in the image of our Savior. The whole call of God, we grow in the grace and knowledge of our King. Amen? And we see the fruit of the Spirit that He wants us to develop and increase in those areas. So again, for you and I that love the Lord, there's character goals that we should be growing and maturing and deepening in the fruit of the Spirit. But there's also ministry goals for all of us. Because we're all called to serve. Lord, how would you have me to serve in this coming year? Help me to do better in the area that I am serving in. What would your your goal for me in my present place be, Lord? I don't want to just coast through this new year. I want to believe you. You Brother Torres is, is, is running with those young men. And he, he's, man, he's texting them. He's asking them to pray for people. He's setting challenges before him. He's calling them to go for it. Amen? Not, not, not just coasting and taking up time, but he's saying, let's do something together. Let's believe God together to touch some other young man and to reach other young men. You see, when that, that divine burden comes into a heart, it moves us to action. It gives us goals in ministry. It gives us family goals. What are we going to believe for our kids or grandkids this year? Family goals. Maybe we need to get out of some debt. Maybe we need to start harnessing and stop talking about someday. Let's get a present plan of action for this day. So a year from now, we look back and say, look what we accomplished for our family. Look what we did together when we locked arms in prayers and we worked together and we accomplished some God-honoring goals in our lives. Of course, professionally. On the job, there might be things God wants you to do. There might be new things God wants you to take on. And as you wait on God and let God direct, not just going half-baked, but allowing God to begin to show you. And you get that witness, and you go for that. And you can go with that confidently, with expectation, believing. 
God wants me to move into this realm. I'm God's person. This is God's time. See, that present vision that God puts in our heart, that God reveals to us by his word or by his spirit, it gives our life a dynamic. It should bring an energy and a passion. Man, I can remember as kids when we used to play ball, you know, Little League. I couldn't sleep the night before the big game. Amen? I was so juiced up, man. I was so, I'm not just ready to go. I couldn't sleep at all. And you know, when you get something that God's putting on your heart, it brings an excitement. Isn't that right? It brings something in, a dynamic. But it also produces direction because now I know God wants me here, not there. God wants me giving my best efforts towards that, not towards. We can, we can become deluded and overextended. When we're dabbling in all these things and really have no few things that we're really focusing our energies on. Number three, vision produces not only a dynamic, not only a direction, it produces a discipline in one's life. It helps us to make the right choices, good or better. And quite frankly, the older we get, we must learn to say no so that we can actually say yes. A vision helps us to know what to cut out through choices. Accomplishment demands some trade-offs in life. Can't have everything. We got to know the priority thing. Isn't that right? <laughs> now, I, don't, I don't agree with this. He's with the Lord now. I don't agree with a lot of his theology, but remember um, Reverend Schuler. Remember Reverend Schuler and his Crystal Cathedral? Well, I remember he said one time he was a pretty good golfer, pretty good semi-pro golfer or whatever. He said, but then I had my first son, and I had to make a choice. Do I want to be a good semi-pro golfer or do I want to be a good dad? And the golf clubs went into the garage. I wanted to be a good dad. He said, when you've got to make choices, there's always trade-offs in life. You can't have everything. And we've got to know what really matters in order to be who God's called us to be. Our vision helps us make decisions. Helps us prioritize life. For example, if you ever run into a medical student, <laughs> ever run into a serious student, they, they, they can't choose. I'm not going to study for a couple of nights. That's not, that's, you can't do that. When you are an elite student, there are certain things that you say no to, but you have a, a vision and a burden, and you have something you want to reach. If you ever deal with an elite athlete, they can't miss workouts every other day. They can't eat anything they want. Because there's a vision that brings a discipline to their lives that keeps them focused and keeps them reaching. The serious Christian that really has a desire to please the Lord and to honor Jesus Christ with all of their lives. They must have a certain discipline because my vision is to please Him. My vision is to seek first His kingdom and to do His will in my life. And if I'm going to put Him first... I've got to say no to a few things. I've got to rearrange a few things. A present vision. Present vision. It simply helps me. The present vision helps me in my decisions. It says, yes, this fits. No, that's outside my purpose. That relationship, that commitment, that mindset, that hobby is a threat or a danger to what I'm birthing. You've got to guard your vision from secondhand smoke. You know, I think that one of the greatest examples that when that lady gets pregnant, they, they guard that thing, man. They watch where they eat. They watch where they go. They watch a whole lot. Why? They don't want anything to challenge what the, they're carrying. Oh, and when you have something in you by the Holy Ghost, you learn to live in such a way with other things 
are not a negative challenge or a detriment to what God has called you to give birth to in and through your life. You see, for the serious Christian, vision disciplines us to accept, like the athlete, like the student, vision disciplines us to accept divine limitations. Divine limitations. We recognize I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. And you might have heard this saying, I know the old timers have, some may, you cannot. If you want God's best in your life, there used to be the old saying for those Christians, some may do this and that, I cannot. But he's calling me to a higher place and a closer walk and a tighter commitment to Christ. Therefore, there are certain things that hinder that. They'll only suffocate that. Let me give you quickly divine limitations. God will put on the serious believer's life limitations to help us mature and help us to grow. And again, this is for the serious believer. We'll write it down. We ask ourselves, what am I willing to endure or to lay down in order to do God's will and accomplish God's task? Divine limitations will do the following things to the life of the sincere believer. Number one, divine limitations will purify our character. They'll purify our character. They produce a greater Christ-likeness in us. They, they, um, as we submit to God, they, they work His work in our lives. Pruning is the process of cutting away what is not conducive to a harvest. Sometimes even the most flowery branches get cut away for the overall harvest. You know, Jesus lived with divine limitations. The Son of God, I can't do anything I want to do. I can only go where the Father calls me to go. I can only say what the Father wants me to say. Even Jesus, who is our example, He is is the, the model, He is the model Son. Even Jesus lived with divine limitations. And as you and I give God our very best, we'll recognize one of the ways He matures us and He deepens and develops us is by putting divine limitations on us. He'll snip off certain things that are just draining us so we can focus things on what really matters. He'll ask us to lay down things that are just hindering the overall call of becoming like Jesus. Divine limitations will purify character. They'll produce Christ-likeness. Divine limitations will prove ownership. You know, again, back in the day, after John 3.16, amen? I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Isn't that right? Come out from among them, be ye separate. Those, they taught you those verses. I mean, you knew them, right? After John 3.16, divine limitations. They prove, you know, we, we live a lot of times, I have my rights generation. It's been about three generations. I got my rights. But you know, from the Garden of Eden, all the way seeing God deal with Abraham, give me your son. Throughout the word of God, where God communicates to us his will and his desire for areas in our lives, there are times when God will exercise his rights in our life to see what our response will be. You know, sometimes God will just say, listen, I'm God. You're not. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to go there. This is what I want you to do, and I don't want you to quit halfway when it gets uncomfortable. You see, God grants divine limitations off prove ownership. 
to establish, to test our submission. He'll impose those limitations. He'll set boundaries for our lives and He'll remind us that He is Lord. As if He's saying, if you really love me, you'll trust me in this and not buck it. If you really love me, you'll obey me in this and you'll do it because that's the way I'm calling you to do it. Divine limitations. Purify character. They prove ownership. Divine limitations focus our energy so that there's less waste in the life that we live. We're harnessed that we might be productive. He concentrates our attention. But there's a danger in distraction. When faith and fidelity get distracted, we're hindered from fulfilling our call. But when God, through His limitations, helps us to concentrate and focus. You know, there's great, the power of concentration and focus. Whether it's an athlete or whatever, there's great power in that. There's great power in that. You watch the whole, the whole football thing. They, they, they hate any kind of distraction. Because they've got them so wired down to it. Just a precise focus. And in our Christian experience, God understands how easy it is for you and I to get distracted. And sometimes we look back and we say, God spoke to me a decade ago about X, Y, Z. Why didn't it come to pass? But we'll recognize we were here when we were there and we overextended here and that. And, and we didn't want God to come out and kind of clip our wings. But when God clips our wings, it's ultimately for our good and His glory. And so all these other things won't drain us and waste our focus and our concentration, but that we can stay steady and actually do the work. Jesus said, I finished the work He sent me to do. They tried to distract him. Peter said, Lord, that can't be for you. The enemy tried to make him king. Wicked men tried to discourage him and deny him. But he kept his focus on his call and on his burden. On the vision the Father had for his life to go to that cross for you and for me. And he was able to say at the end of it all, I've finished the work setting for me to do. Paul's in a prison getting ready for his execution. He said, I've finished my race. I've kept the faith. I've accomplished the task God called me to. Nehemiah's going to be able to say, I've finished the work. We built the wall. It laid waste for a century and a half in just a couple of months by the grace of God when God's people got together with a common vision and a common burden and they united their faith and their sacrifice, they rebuilt it and took away the shame. And God was glorified. Divinely placed limitations focus our energy. There's great power in focus. You know, going, growing up in the north, the fall, always my favorite time. When we were kids, we'd walk home from school. We always walked, walking home from school. And sometimes in the fall, you'd see a little group of kids around in a circle. And pretty much you knew if it was October... Somebody had either, <laughs> I don't say swiped or borrowed, uh, uh, or somehow got a magnifying glass. And right, what are they doing with that magnifying glass? They're trying to set on fire those leaves. They're putting little leaves together, right? And that's just kind of, it was kind of what happened <laughs> in the fall where we were. And, but it dawned on me as I got older. You know, that, those sun's rays are there all the time. But not until they're harnessed and they're focused and there's a concentration, can they really produce that fire? And I know many times what hinders God's people from accomplishing God's will for their life had nothing to do with the devil. We blame him too much. It's our lack of focus 
and discipline and priority to that thing God is calling us to achieve, overcome, or become. Can you say amen? And when we allow God to put divine limitations upon our lives in his perfection, he will limit certain things so we can focus our energies, our time, our talents, our treasures on the right thing and be productive children. Lastly, divine limitations. When God begins to take you and I to a deeper place of discipleship, to a greater place of accomplishment. God will put divine limitations on our life. It will purify our character. The more we learn to say yes to God, not argue with God, it purifies character. The more we learn just to be submissive and yielded as the Spirit leads us, it purifies our character. It also proves ownership. And when God can find people He can trust, look out. He'll use you in ways you never dreamed. When God can find a people who recognize, I'm not my own, I belong to Jesus. And if he says do this, I'm going to do it. And if he says don't, I won't. He's got someone he can use. Amen? Amen. Divine limitations also place those limitations that focus our energy. Taking away excess, taking away waste, concentration. Lastly, divine limitations brings ultimate enlargement into our lives. You look at the lives of Joseph or Moses or, 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 or David or Paul. You know, David was able to say, in my distress, you enlarged me, Psalm 4 and 1. In the tight place of life, God, you worked in such a way where actually I grew bigger from it. Brother Johansson, Paul Johansson, he was a Bible school president, one of my schools. He, He made this comment one time to us. To the degree one accepts divine limitations, to that degree God allows enlargement of ministry, authority, and influence. Remember, the Bible, the kingdom of God has different laws and rules than the world's kingdom. How many know that? You see. And we can't try to serve God by obeying the world's laws. But the laws of the kingdom say, if you want to go up, you've got to go down. The Bible says, if we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, He will lift us up in due times. Don't make sense to the world. I'm going to push myself forward. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to dream my dream. Hang on. Where's God in this? Where's God in this? But as I get the word from God, see, see, God's ways are a little different, aren't they? But divine limitations ultimately bring divine enlargement. Divine enlargement. So we look at the importance of discipline. When I get the vision from God, when God puts on my heart, this is your ministry. This is the task I want you to give yourself to. You're going to be on that board for a few years. You're going to give focus to that thing. You're going to give your best to that thing. Amen? You're going to teach that Sunday school class. You're going to stand before God for those children. Even if there's just three of them, I'm holding you accountable now. That every week you're going to give them something good and you're going to pray over it. Isn't that right? But I want to retire. Don't you dare retire if God don't tell you to retire. We've lost this. We've lost this. And then even when I do, we're talking, okay, God, it's a new season. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? See, vision disciplines our lives. It helps me to make better choices. Because now I have the compass of God. Now I know what God is really calling me to focus on. But it helps me also to accept divine limitations, which really means it helps me to submit to the procedure and the plan of God in my life. 
to do it his way and yield to his spirit. But also this heavenly vision, this present burden that God places sturdies me and strengthens me in the face of opposition and resistance to my efforts of walking with God and doing what God's called me to do. When the the burden of God is in your heart, there's something that'll strengthen you and give you a resolve to face the opposition and the disappointments and the resistance of life that'll try to hinder you. How many know many weren't excited about what Nehemiah was doing? There were many, many enemies who didn't want him to accomplish his goal. You need to know this morning, hell doesn't want you to rebuild your life. Hell doesn't want you to rebuild that marriage. Hell doesn't want your family giving Jesus Christ first place in all things. And as you begin to restore things and rebuild things, and you really try to give the quality effort to grow in God and to advance in that which is eternal, there will be opposition and there will be resistance. When the enemy heard what Nehemiah was doing, there came great opposition to the cause. In the second chapter, the Bible says they ridiculed him. Even before the project began, there's ridicule. Many people never even take the second step because just in the planning stages, they listen to the wrong voices and they get attacked by the negative influences. Second chapter, verse 19, they ridicule him before he even begins. They said, what are you doing? What are you rebelling against the king? Your motives aren't pure. You'll never rebuild those walls. They've been there 150 years. You really think you can get the job done? The Bible says in verse 20 that Nehemiah responded. I answered them and I said, the God of heaven will give us success and we will start the rebuilding. We will build and God will bless. Isn't that beautiful? That's how you answer the naysayers. That's how you answer those that don't believe what God has put in your heart. That's how you answer those that try to poo-poo what you know. It's the will of God for your life. We're going to build and God's going to bless. We're going to make it because God is for us. We're going to accomplish the task because we're not just doing our own thing. We've connected and partnered with the living God to do His thing. Opposition. As they began building in that fourth chapter, the enemy began to mock and began to plot and they began to think of how maybe we can attack and disrupt the, the building. They begin to insult them. They begin to deride them. They'll never do it. You'll fail. Just look at you guys. You're never going to finish the work. They planned an attack to disrupt the progress. But Nehemiah responded. Fourth chapter, verse 4. We prayed. We posted a guard. We made some adjustments. We unified the troops. And then we kept on building. Sometimes even in the midst of it, you got to get a second wind. you got to reboot things. you got to go get some help and encouragement from the brethren. But above all, don't stop building. Don't stop walking. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing. Sometimes halfway through, there's a little bit of weariness there, a little bit of tiredness there. And the enemy knows how to jump on us. When we're feeling a little tired and things aren't happening as quick as we wish and it still seems like there's so much to do. That's all right. 
Sometimes you just got to get a little encouragement from the brethren. You got to get a fresh drink from the river of God, but then get back in there. And remember, this thing wasn't initiated by you. This was initiated by God. You're not using God. God's using you, and it's a glorious thing. Finally, in that sixth chapter, everything's just about done. They got the walls up. The only thing that's lacking are the gates and the doors. And the enemy shows up to try to keep them from finishing. Couldn't hinder them. So he says, come on, have a talk with us. Trying to distract them. He says, come on, the walls are up. They just had to put them doors in. They're getting real close. Somebody, you're getting real close. Don't stop now. You're getting closer now than you ever imagined in that breakthrough. Don't stop now. And they try to get Nehemiah to stop. But sometimes people get so close. And then something distracts them. Something moves them away. That's 6th chapter, verse 3. I love his reply. He says, I'm carrying on a great project. And I can't come down and meet with you. The work can't stop. There's no time for that. Remember that delay is dangerous. And procrastination is a tool of the enemy to keep you from finishing. But oh, like Nehemiah, he says, I can't come down. The work's not done yet. And until it's done, we're going to keep believing. And we're going to keep sacrificing. And we're going to keep giving. And we're going to believe God to be the finisher he's called us to be. A divine vision brings a discipline into our lives. But here it is very quickly because here's just a fact of Christianity. When we get serious with God, when we say yes to God, we must be ready to say no to some other things. Some things are within us, some things are without. It's a fresh year. May God give us a fresh vision. It's a new year. May God give us a new anointing. As we seek God, may God give us a fresh assignment, something we can wrap our faith around. Something we can believe for. Something we can reach for. Regardless of what season of life you're in. There's something beyond just surviving that God can entrust. That you might be the instrument to see his will done on the earth as it is in heaven. There are lives he wants to reach. There are hurts he wants to heal. There are sheep he wants to feed. There are accomplishments he wants to receive glory from. And it looks for those that will say, here I am, send me. Write that burden on my heart. Grip my heart with that assignment, Lord. Very quickly, when you get the vision of God in you, when God, you ever meet someone that really got called of God? I know we got a handful of them here. When that person really gets called to God, look out, nothing else matters. They forget everything. Have you ever met one of them? I mean, they'll forget everything. They'll just jump. They go ahead. Usually they jump ahead of the thing. But if God ever gets a hold of you, it's no hobby. When God ever gets a hold of you, it's over. Nothing else matters. And when that happens, this vision will produce a determination in your life. You're going to be a finisher. You take on any challenge as an affront to God Almighty. God-inspired vision keeps us when we prefer to quit. When times get tough, when the price to pay gets high, when the timing isn't what we thought, all of a sudden we wake up one day and we realize it's not I that has the vision, but it's the vision that got me. All of a sudden we rise up one day and find out, you know what? It's got me, and I must do this. You know, Jesus is our greatest example. If you see it in Hebrews 12, in verse 2, 
when Jesus was caught up with the vision from heaven, his divine purpose for coming to earth. And there are so many things to resist, so many things that would oppose him, so many things that would try to distract him. And it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus as our example, as our encouragement. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, there's things you have to endure if you're going to get to the other side. There's some things that you must scorn and overcome if you're really going to possess what God has called you to possess. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured and persevered because the vision of heaven will bring a determination into your life, a stick-to-itiveness, a power to prevail and overcome. A determination was in Christ because of his vision, because he saw more than the cross. He saw what laid beyond the cross. You see, friend, you got to realize there's something beyond the heartache. There's something beyond the disappointment. There's something beyond the hardship and the opposition. It will be worth it all. But the man or woman of God that's committed to do the will of God has to have a determined faith that will persevere. Realizing it will be worth it. I must go through some things to accomplish the task of God. But I won't let those things sway me. I won't let those things knock me off course. Because my faith is fueled by what God has shown me. My faith is fueled by what God has spoken in my heart. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by that word. And God has spoken that word. And the church will be built. And the family will be restored. And the stray will be brought back into the fold. And those that are afflicted will be healed and made whole. Because it's too early for you to die. You shall live and not die. You know, it's tempting to quit when you're halfway through a project. When you start, there's an excitement. When you're finished, you can see it. But sometimes in the middle, sometimes in the middle, you're a little tired. Thought things would have happened quicker. Thought more people would have been jumping on the bandwagon. No, no, sometimes a lot of people aren't going to go with you. You've got to know it's God. This walk of faith, sometimes it's a lonely walk. You and Jesus, amen? <laughs> Weariness can set in. It happened in this story. They were halfway through. And the Bible says the workers' hands got tired. Have you ever got tired in serving God? Have you ever gone through things where you were wearied? We all have. That's why we've got to stay filled. That's why we've got to come back to that altar. Amen. That's why we've got to say, Lord, help me. Fill me afresh, Lord. Get back in this thing. And they use this word. Not only were they tired, there was still much rubble. Rubble. All the walls. Remember those walls have been laid waste. There's bricks flying everywhere. Stones everywhere. And there's so much. And sometimes you're doing your best and they're seeing some gains, but there's still so many things. Will we ever get it where it needs to be? And you get tired. Then on top of that, the enemy. Enemy knows when you're tired. Amen. Enemy knows when you're tired. Amen. You say, you know, no, no, don't talk too much about that weariness. Take it to Jesus. Don't talk too much. You call a friend to pray for you, and you get to God. But don't, 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 no, no, don't let the devil know. He'll jump on that. You say, yeah, see, this wasn't God. Yeah, see, just give up and go back. It was easier the other way. Oh, that devil is a liar. But I love this. It was at such a time where the workers' arms were getting weak, and it still seemed like there was so much they had still to do. And the enemy jumps on that thing. But I love how Nehemiah responds. 
And I believe this is such a good response for us. Nehemiah 4 and 14. He encourages them. He stirs them. And then he reminds them. There is a reason beyond us why we should give God our best and never give up. There's a reason that's greater than me personally why we should sacrifice and if need be suffer for the glory of God and give our best for the kingdom of God. He writes these words. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the leaders and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Whatever you're facing, the word of the Lord to you, don't be afraid. God is greater than what you're facing. God is greater than the report you heard. God is greater than the threats of the enemy that would try to discourage you and turn you back and make you give up. Don't be afraid of them, but remember the Lord. Remember the one that brought you here. He won't bail on you now. Remember that he that began that good work in you, he's going to finish that work and God is committed to you and God is committed to the work that he's entrusted to you. You're not in this on yourself. He wants that family coming in. He wants those strays coming in. He wants that breakthrough coming to pass. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Isn't that beautiful? You serve a great God. You serve a mighty God. Believe this God. Trust this God. Stand firmly on the good, great promises of this God. Ooh, and he says, and fight. See, it's not just about us, is it? For the children. Fight for your families and for your sons and for your daughters and for your wives and for your homes. There's a reason We get up and we get going, whether we feel like it or not. There's a reason we stand firm and don't give place to the enemy. But we keep trusting the word of God and we keep praying the prayer of faith. Which is not about us. It's those God has entrusted to us. And that should be a great motivation to keep us going and keep us believing. Can you say amen? Yeah. Gives us a dynamic. This vision from God, when God puts something on your heart, gives you direction, gives you discipline, gives you determination to endure and prevail. And lastly, it gives us a durability. Because if you do anything worthwhile for God, you're going to take some bumps and bruises along the way. If you do anything worthwhile for God, you're going to take a shot or two. But you've got to be able to remember the old Timex commercial, and I'm dating myself here. It takes a licking, but keeps on ticking. You gotta have some durability. Amen. You gotta have some durability. I'll date myself some more. Anybody remember? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You're gonna take some shots. You might get buckled. You stay in there. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep loving Jesus. Keep serving Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus. Amen. Keep doing what He's called you to do. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's it. I quit. Hallelujah. God wants to use you in this coming year to accomplish personal things, personal growth, but also ministerial achievements. God wants to use you to touch some lives. There might be someone on the job you've been praying for for 20 years. This is going to be the year. He's going to open up that door of conversation, and you're going to be able to share. Amen? There's been people you've been praying for. This is going to be the year. God's going to do something in their life, and God's going to start answering some of those prayers. So I pray that this year, let's 
not just coast, but let's accomplish some things in this coming year. Let's all try to grow in God. I want to grow in God. Amen? I want to grow in God. I want to grow to be more like Jesus. Amen? Less of me and more of him. I want to grow in the Lord. I want to contribute to the work of God. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a role to play. Find your part and give God your best. Amen? I want to contribute to the work of the Lord. And then in the family and the personal life. Especially if you have believing spouses. Get together. What can we believe for in the coming year? It might be getting out of debt. Someone says, that don't sound spiritual. It's real spiritual when you're in it. I'll tell you that much. Amen? Getting out of it is a glorious thing. All right? Maybe there's some things you want to really believe and trust God for the kids. Maybe there's some things as a family you want to do. But you'll never know if we don't ask God about it. Amen? Lord, show us in this coming year. What promise do you want me to believe? What accomplishment do you want me to achieve? What area do you want me to give myself more in my sacrifice and in my efforts? And as we offer ourselves, let God speak to us. Let this year not just be a year of, let it be a year of divine focus. Something specific, smart goals, specific, that God puts in here. Doesn't mean you have to overextend yourself. You might be there right now. You might be in your place. Well, God, let this be the best time ever with these little kids that I'm teaching. Lord, I'm going to pray. Let this be the best. Bless these kids. Let every class be the best it's ever been. With the missionettes, let this be the year like we haven't had. Amen? But you ask God for that. And let him put that thing in your heart. And then respond with all you got. Remember the lessons from Nehemiah. And give God your best and let God use you as he wants to use you. Say it again. Somebody needs you. And you are someone's answer to prayer. Amen. We're going to open the altars. As I pray the prayer and we sing the last song. Let's just offer ourselves to God. A new year, a new anointing. Amen. A new year, a new assignment. Amen. Lord, give me your promise. Give me your assignment. What is it you want me to do? If there's things in my life I need to make right, Lord, I'm going to get them right. If there's things I know are just not in order, Lord, I'm going to get them in order. Amen? If there's areas, God, you've been dealing with me, you want me to commit to, I'm going to get committed, and I'm going to keep my commitment. Amen? Go ahead. Stand with me, please. Let's, we'll open the altars. If you need prayer for anything, we'll pray for you. If you just want to come and wait on God, you can do that. Be here today. I encourage you. Give your best to God. Let this be a year of growth, of achievement, of doing the will of God. Father, I want to thank you so much for another year to serve you. I want to thank you, Lord, for a year of expectation and opportunity. Lord, I want to thank you that our steps are ordered by you. And you're going to give us divine appointments in this coming year. And you're going to use us strategically to touch lives for your glory in this coming year. And Lord, we recognize as Christians we're not our own. We've been bought with the price. The precious blood of Jesus has purchased us and redeemed us. And therefore, Lord, we present ourselves to you this morning at the beginning of this coming year. Lord, I pray, number one, that for those maybe that really have had a rough year, you'll allow some healing oil to be poured into their hearts. For those that are maybe still ouching, 
and sorrowing from the previous year. Lord, I pray you'd pour your holy oil on their hearts. Jesus, you're still the healer of wounded hearts. Heal their hearts, Lord. Maybe some are just weary, Lord. They feel a bit exhausted. But here another year is upon them. Lord, let a fresh feeling come into their lives. A new emotional and spiritual strength restore, revive. And Lord, for all of us, we want to be fruitful in this coming year. We want our lives to make a difference in this coming year. So we say, Father, please make known to us what would you have us to give our best priority, effort, and focus towards? What would be the assignment, Father, that you would put within our hearts, in our personal realm, in our family realm, in this local church, Lord, and ministry? Lord, we do not want to live wastefully. We want to live productively for you. So, Lord, as we make this altar, I ask you, Lord, to heal the hurting, the touch hearts that have really been bruised in this previous year. Heal their hearts. Pray for those that are still pretty exhausted. Previous year has been tiring. But, Lord, you're the one that said you'll renew our strength as we wait on you. And I ask you to renew their strength so they'll be fresh for the coming year. But now, Lord, for all of us, sons and daughters of the living God, we offer ourselves to you and say, Lord, give us your present vision for this present hour. That we might live this coming year fruitfully and not wastefully. That we might focus on the things you've called us to focus on and not be distracted and sidetracked and overextended. We offer you our hearts, our minds, right on the tablets of our heart. The burden you'd want us to give ourselves to in this coming year. And fill us with a fresh anointing to carry it out. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. If you need special prayer, if it's been a rough year, you need prayer, please come down. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll pray for you. If you just need a fresh filling, ask God to fill you so you can run into the new year. Everyone else, let God speak to you. Let God direct your path. Let it be a great year.